0: I hope that you guys have been reading along it's really the, the, the scripture is really incredible as it describes Daniel and his faithfulness to God so we've seen two key themes throughout the book so far uh, one is in spite of present difficulties God is in control God is in control and he will have the final say right um, he'll have the final victory Sometimes we forget that. So as we go through the text today, I want you to hold that idea in tension with Daniel's faithfulness as you see all of the things that he's subjected to um, in exile in Babylon. The other thing is, the other theme is God's people can survive and even thrive. And I think, um, you know, we can thrive in the midst of a toxic culture. That's really a monumental concept we often feel like we're subject to the things and stuff of the world and what's going on around us. But what we're gonna learn this morning is that we're not. There may be some things we need to do not to be sucked into that vortex of chaos, but we are not subject to the world. So how many of you have heard about the story of Daniel and the lion's den? A few, a few, most. And maybe some people aren't just answering because you know and you kind of think I'm crazy for asking. Uh, as I asked one of my children, who I will leave unnamed. I said, what do you know about the lions did? She said that he was thrown in there. I just gave it away. I have two girls and two boys. Well, it's one of the girls. And um, she said that he was thrown in there. And I said, okay, that's a good start. It's a good start. So... Um, you may be wondering, like, what the heck did this guy do to get thrown into a den of lions? I mean, that's, that's pretty steep punishment, right? And so much to my surprise in the study and the preparation for today's message, and maybe to yours too, you'll learn a lot about Daniel this morning. Um, particularly about how um, he remained faithful under fire, incredible faithfulness, um, courageous trust in God Daniel had courageous trust in God not just a little trust or some trust or ain't, ain't trust but courageous trust and then he was very very faithful and intentional in his prayer life faithful and intentional in his prayer life so I want to pause for just a minute and ask how are how am I doing how are you doing with your faith, with your courageous trust in God, and with intentional prayer. How are you doing in those areas? You don't have to answer that. It's rhetorical. But I want, you, I want to invite you to think about it as we go through this message this morning. So we've learned a lot about the characters over the last few weeks, right? We've heard about Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, and how through a series of events, he um, he actually was humbled and, and God revealed himself. And some of the things he did through Daniel and his buddies that were thrown into the fiery furnace, you'll remember that. They were thrown into the fire and they came out unharmed. You'll remember early on um, when the king was wanting them to partake in um, all that heavy and, and lavish, you know, what might have been akin to, you know, heavy, heavy food of our day. They didn't want to do that. They wanted to continue to purify their bodies and eat vegetables and drink water, and they did that, and they came out very well. Um, We also heard from Alan about King Belshazzar and and his pride and how that was relentless. No matter what he experienced, he remained prideful. And shortly, we're gonna hear about King Darius. And Darius um, takes over Babylon at the end of chapter five. If you're reading along, And he set up a a governance, and the the governors, there were 120 of them, and we'll hear that in scripture in just a minute, they were were forced to be reckoned with. They were very jealous, and um, they were willing to go to great lengths as a result of their jealousy. We'll also be looking at the cultural norms in Daniel's time. Um, There were many and you know we will frame that in the context of our cultural norms and draw from his example um he 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 lived well despite all of that and again as we think about that key theme we too can live well despite all that so we'll be talking a little bit about cultural norms of our day and um and then the last thing i'll say is that you know back then worshiping idols was a thing it was a thing and a lot of these kings, as they, you know, king over king over king through that empire, um, or, or the rise of them as one came up and one fell and one came up, it was it was a common thing, uh, thing and theme uh, to worship idols. And um, I would submit that there's a little idol worshiping going on in our culture too. And maybe not directly, right? But there are things that become the object of our worship. And you know, just to name a few, fame, fortune, success, how many likes we get, right? We're not bowing down to the number of likes, but they do become an object of our heart, of our minds, right? And that starts to classify that as worship. So anything that is bigger than God in our hearts becomes an idol of worship. So I'm going to leave that right there. Um... I do want to say that we live in a society with all these cultural norms, most of which are not holy or good or good for us or nice. They just are, and a lot of times they can penetrate our faith. And so um, let's take a look at Daniel chapter 6. This this picks up in in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. One of whom was uh, with three administrators over the larger group, one of whom was Daniel. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the satraps were made accountable uh, to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this the administrators and uh, at this the administrators and the safe traps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so they found no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent finally these men said we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has to do with the law of his god They already knew. They knew um, where Daniel stood in terms of a posture of faith and prioritizing his God above all the things and the mayhem and the nonsense and the elbowing out for power that these guys were all engaged in. I mentioned earlier, if we look back at the end of chapter 5, we see that Darius takes over the king of Babylon, and he gets busy setting up this governance. It was an administrative bureaucracy. I'm sure some of you might be familiar with something like that. Um, the, the, the satraps were the key leaders, as we read in verses 1 through 5. And Daniel was not only part of that governance, but remember the word said that he had been distinguished among them. So you'll want to you'll think about that. So King Darius sees him as distinguished among them. The other other guys, not so much. Um, In fact, they wanted to find a way to bring charges against him, and they knew they had to get to plotting and being creative in order to do that. They were looking for a way to judge him. They wanted to tear him down. They wanted to see him as guilty. Why do you think that is? They wanted to tear him down. Why? Because he did the right thing. He did the right thing and he was devout in his faith and they really didn't care that he did the right thing. They wanted him out of their way so that their power and authority are perhaps taking over the kingdom or perhaps being kind of top of the rung for King Darius. They wanted what he had. Now, spoiler alert, he was doing the right thing and he gets thrown into the lion's den anyway. That should not discourage us from doing the right thing, um, because he was not consumed in that circumstance. no pun intended. He did not get eaten by the lions. And we live in a den, if you will. Um, but his story we will see, will teach us that even though we live in a in a toxic culture, a complex world, a crazy place, we don't have to be consumed by it, right? Scripture tells us that we were in we are in the world, but we don't need to be of the world. So the other the other say satraps get busy, the other guys get busy, they wanted to see him crumble. He didn't think or act the way that they did, and that was all they needed. That was all they he, he was a little different. Nothing wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just a little different. And that was all they needed because of their jealousy, to seek his demise. This part of the text points us to a cultural norm that we see often today, making this both relevant and applicable to our Christian walk, yours and mine. And that norm is it's not uncommon for us to become jealous or pass harsh judgment on others who think, look, believe, act differently than we do. I am sure, I feel confident that you've experienced that in your walk, in your day-to-day, if you're on social media, if you go to a workplace, right, if you have a family. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've experienced feelings or you've seen someone with strong feelings about someone else <clears throat> who looks, acts, behaves, walks, talks differently than we do. Here's the interesting thing in our society. There is so much support. People get on board, right? Have you ever heard of groupthink? We say that in the professional world a lot. Well, if one person thinks it, then everybody runs over here, and well, that guy must be bad. You know? It's easy to jump into groupthink. Excuse me. There's support for judging others. There's a sense of belonging that comes with judging others. I promise you, you know, if you look at the political climate today, you know, there's two primary halves. And if, if someone makes a, a point, albeit not very nice, they're honored. Because that whole half says, yeah, go get him, right? And, and it starts to tear us apart. And the, the same is true for the other side. The same is true for the other side. So it's, it's just, it's a thing, it's, it's a cultural norm. If, if someone thinks differently, there's enough support out there to give our way, which must be the right way because my way is the only way, credibility. And we take that credibility to the bank, if you will, sometimes no matter the cost. Social media is a platform that can divide us. Some of the worst fights I have ever seen have been on Facebook. And I'm talking about among families, not to mention friends. I am not judging you. I am not talking to you. I am talking to us. That is part of our toxic culture. It just is. We can accept that. Or you can be really mad at me right now. Do you need pull your toes in, don't worry, you're not alone, I'm pulling mine in too, you just can't see it in the shoes, but here's the thing, here's the thing. The world thinks all of that is okay. The world in general thinks all of that is okay. I wanna share a story about my parents, my mom and dad. My dad's name, nickname of course, was Tiny, which is kind of funny because he was a huge guy and my mom's name was Linda when she was a little bit feisty or maybe a lot of bit feisty, and they often called her Linda Joe. She was in the feist mode, and so, um, but here's the thing. We lived in a, in you know, middle-class community. We rode our bikes in that neighborhood without much fear. We went down to the 7-Eleven to buy gum. You know, we did all kinds of cool things, and a lot of the people in that neighborhood aligned with one side of the political platform there were about two three families that I can recall one of which was our direct next door neighbor that voted the other way they voted the other way but do you know what we went to see the Houston Oilers play on Sunday afternoon, love you blue (laughs) my mom baked cakes and cookies, she was a killer killer cook I did not get that skill. She made everything from scratch. There were no box cakes in her kitchen. That was taboo. But you know what? That family next door often came over and sat in our home, or we went, they had a cool screened-in porch. We didn't have that. But we would go to their house, or they would come to ours. We'd go see football games together, and they had a difference of opinion. What has happened in our world that we think we cannot have a difference of opinion and still love someone? When did that become a thing? When did it become a thing? And I say out loud, Lord, if I'm contributing to that thing, change my heart. Change my heart. Let me not be a person contributing to that thing. So, the point is this: relationships are often fractured or destroyed because of a difference of opinion. And you know where this is really heartbreaking? I have family members right now. Again, I'll relieve that. I'll I'll, I'll leave it unnamed. But I have family members right now that can't reconcile. Whatever the contention or the point of the argument is it is so intense that they cannot reconcile they can't reconcile why is it pride is it the demand to be right is is that difference of opinion that unforgivable i don't think so our human our humanness though the flesh if it's not calibrated against god's word if we do not hold Context in our lives, let me tell you something, that flesh will run away from us. It will run away from us. We have to hold that in context. Our rightness or our wrongness has to be held in context of God's word. Daniel, in this scripture, sets a stellar example for us. He's the subject of other people's opinions. He's different. They're jealous, right? God's honoring his faithfulness all throughout this text, which is super cool. He'll honor ours too, by the way. But he still prioritized his faithfulness above all of that mayhem. So let's keep reading. This is going through verses 6 and 7. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, Advisors and governors, you think they have enough names? I'm just saying. Have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human um, during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So the plotting is progressing, right? What do these guys know about Daniel. They know that he's going to do the right thing. They know that their maneuvering is going to land him in the lion's den. So they had to find a way, remember, because they couldn't really find fault. Tremper Longman, in his book, How to Read Daniel, says it this way. Daniel's rise to power brought on the jealousy of the leaders who then plotted to undermine him. But at first they were stymied because they could not find dirt on him. He was clearly a person of integrity as even his enemies were forced to admit. He goes on to say, Thus his foes tried another angle. They knew that Daniel followed the law of his God and would not compromise that law, even if it meant breaking the law of Darius. They had him. They had him. The secret's out. Now you know what happened to him. <clears throat> they knew exactly which way he would go. So these satraps, the governors of this structure point us to another cultural norm. Do whatever it takes to make you happy, to get ahead, to fit in, to be accepted, to be heard, to be right, whatever it takes. There's a narrative in our society that says you deserve it. Do we? God deserves honor and praise. God deserves honor and praise. Amen? Making sure y'all are listening. God deserves honor and praise. Yes. So you can fill in the blank. So much of society's focus today is I, me, mine. I want this. I need this. This is mine. This is not good enough for me. I deserve this. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. I'm just saying Verses 8 and 9 go on to describe the satraps urging King Darius to put the decree in writing because once the decree was in writing, there was no one doing it. Even the king himself, once he put a decree in writing, he couldn't say, well, I changed my mind, let's pull that back. And these guys knew it. We, uh, we pick up in verse 10. And remember, the whole decree was about you can't pray to anyone else for the next 30 days except to the king, Right? So they they knew what they were going on. Let's pick up in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the degree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows windows opened toward Jerusalem. This is really, really, really important. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. Just as he had done before, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? They knew the answer. They called him. I find it interesting that Daniel didn't close the window he didn't change his posture in prayer. So the, the plot was a success, or so they thought, right? I want to speak for a minute to Daniel's posture. The word tells us that he went to his room, he prayed three times a day, right? He was intentional about it. He got down on his knees. He turned, he prayed toward the direction of Jerusalem, this posture is profoundly important as we work through this text this morning remember we ask early on what is our posture of prayer there is all of these circumstances spiraling it is not looking good for daniel and he knows it but his his faithfulness in god his courageous trust his intentionality with prayer is profound I don't know about you, but there are things in my life right now that I need to rework my posture on. Maybe today we don't go to a room and open a window and pray toward Jerusalem, but there are things that I need to work my, rework my personal posture on when it comes to intentionally handing things over to God and, and living in that space of courage, courageous trust while he works it out. Now remember, King Darius was for Daniel; he was for him. And as we we've learned in the past, you know, Nebuchadnezzar kind of changed his tune, if you will, and and he saw some demonstration, uh, good demonstrations of uh, God's work in Daniel and his buddies' life So he's like, "Hmm, this God of Daniel's a thing. We we better not go against that God, right?" Belshazzar was like prideful, didn't do that. Darius, Darius had a sensitivity to Daniel's God. He didn't want to be on the outside of that God. You know what I'm saying? He's like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not thinking I want to go up against that one. So he was for Daniel. And then, then you're like, well, why did he agree to such an obnoxious decree? Well, he's human. This was a loyalty test in his mind. And so his ego got the best of him, so he kind of jumped in there and said, okay, all right, let's do this, right? And immediately, immediately experienced remorse. He experienced remorse. And so now what's happening is that Darius throughout the night has to wait. Daniel's having to wait on God. D- Trust me, no, Daniel knows the handwriting on the wall. He knows as far as he can see, it doesn't necessarily look good for him. He knows the handwriting on the wall, but he waits well. He waits in a prayerful posture. He has courageous trust in God. He continues faithfully. Who loves waiting? Raise your hand. I sure don't, and I stink at it. Um, Cultural norm let's talk about it. Instant gratification. We want it and we want it now. Can you relate? Am I the only one? Waiting is hard. Who would agree with that part? Thank you. Waiting well is even harder. I've got a situation happening in my life right now. I'm not really um, at liberty to share in great detail but I'm gonna declare now in the name of Jesus that it's gonna work out and I'll come back later and tell you the whole story. Can't do that today, but here's the thing. This is what happens to me when I'm waiting. I think for a minute I'm waiting well, and I'm like, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm trusting you with it. Have your way, but while you're doing that, I'm gonna go ahead and do these two or three things just so that when you're ready to make it all work out, I'll have done everything, it'll be ready to go, right? I do that stuff, man. I hate that about myself, but I do it. I do it. I'm good, and then I'm not. I'm good, and then I'm not. I'm good, and then I'm not. I get up to go to work, and I'm like, I'm so good. And by 9 o'clock, I'm so not. What happened? That was only 15. I have a 15-minute commute, man. How, How did that 15 minutes do that? Who knows? The next thing that happens to Daniel, he gets thrown into the den. And there's a large stone that's placed over the mouth of the pit. And remember, Darius was still for Daniel, even as he is placed into the pit. King Darius is still for Daniel. He was hoping that Daniel's God would see him through. He's like, come on, Daniel's God, do your thing, do your thing, right? Scripture tells us that Darius was distraught distraught. He returned to his palace and spent an anxious night without food, entertainment, or sleep. Clearly not the style of a king, right? And the next morning, he jumps up out of bed. He rushes to the pit to see if Daniel survived. And we're going to jump ahead to verse 20 now. When he came near the den, this is Darius, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent an angel, and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. Daniel made it through the night. God gets the final victory. It's not so for the other guys. The footnotes of the Life Application Study Bible explain that in accordance with the Persian custom, this cruel punishment was transferred to those who had conspired against the king by provoking him into an unjust action. In other words, the folks that set this up were then themselves tossed into the den Let's just say that did not work out so well. Let's kind of come back now to where we started. In spite of present difficulties, God is in control. And he will have the final victory. You know why we can believe that? Because scripture is rich with promise page after page after page after page the Old Testament the New Testament Jesus his life ministry death resurrection God is for us God is for us no matter what you may be dealing with or going through God is in control and will have the final victory what Daniel demonstrates for us in his complete devotion to God, despite the culture of the day, during a time when people are plotting against him. If you've ever been that individual where you feel like everything's against you, sometimes our lives can get crazy like that. We feel like that everything and everyone is against us. But I say, friend, take a look at this Old Testament scripture and see God's faithfulness, faithfulness in the life of Daniel. Maybe it's a relationship that's fractured for you. Maybe you've got some object of worship that is taking up too much space in your life. God is bigger and better and greater and willing and available and loves you and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you. He can handle it, no matter what that it is. God's people can survive and thrive in the midst of a toxic culture. Now, let me just say this. That culture out there is not changing. In fact, depending on what lens you look through, it may be continuing to spiral. It may be getting worse. There may be more hate. There may be more fractured relationships. There may be more worshiping of of stuff that's not good or good for us. I don't really expect, right, that that's going to easily be changed. But I do believe that when we put our faith in God and we invite the Holy Spirit into our our lives, we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we go about our day in a spirit-filled way, when we open our hearts and minds to the Spirit of God, we can become a change agent in this culture. And it doesn't have to be big. You don't have to have a national platform to make a difference. Do you open the door for people? Do you give up the parking spot? Do you encourage others? Do you resist the online fights? Do you love your family member with a difference of opinion? These are the things that we can do to begin to be the people God's called us to do. Now, Daniel rose to the top of the ranks. Man tried to take him down. But the Lord literally, in the most literal sense, shut the mouths of lions. Friends, he will shut the mouths of lions for you too. That is the God that we serve. He will shut the mouths of lions for you too. I don't know what your circumstance is. I don't know. I can't begin to know. But you do. And I believe that somebody in here, in this room today, is hearing this. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you're jobless. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. I don't know what it is. I don't but I know that God will shut the mouths of lions for you. He loves you that much. So the question is, will you seek him? Will you surrender? Will you operate with the humility that it takes to let go of the reins and get into a posture enabling God to do do for you what only God can do? We see all through this text that there's a lot of opposing forces coming at Daniel. And Daniel, on his own, no matter how good he was, no matter how faithful or how well he ate or, you know, how much, all those things, like, no matter how good he was, he could not solve those problems on his own. We can't either. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of God in our lives. And that begins... With the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have to say yes to the one who came to change things for the good for us. At this time, <clears throat> I just I, I want to ask you to be courageous this morning. And if there is anything in your life, anything that you need to take up a new posture on that you need to lay down, that you need help with, if there's anything this morning that you need God to enter in on, I'm going to ask you to stand. Here at the vineyard, We stand beside people who need more and more and more of Jesus. So if you're near someone who's standing, would you please just draw near, lay hands on them as we pray. I also want to invite, um, at the end of this prayer, we're going to be dismissed. But if there um, are available prayer warriors after we close out together this morning, I would ask you to come on down. If anybody needs prayer for anything, if you don't feel comfortable standing in this room, we understand that. But I want to encourage you today don't walk out that door without getting prayer if you need prayer. God is here and He is able. Let's go ahead and pray. God, apart from you, we are nothing, we can't solve our problems. We can't change the culture. We can't repair relationships. We can't be fully who you've called us to be without a willingness to submit our lives wholly to you. Lord, where there is a need for a different posture, would you please show us what that posture is? Help us to lay down things that are not of you. Forgive us, Lord when we sin. Open our hearts and minds to your will, to your way. God, we pray for change in our society, and we pray, God, that we would be change agents, that we would live with your spirit alive in us, Father, that we might become different in a toxic world. Not only would we thrive But people would look at us as Christians and say, what is it they have and how do I get that in the name of Jesus? Use us, God. Have your way. May your purposes be fulfilled through each and every one in this room, through those that are online, where there is a willing Christian, Lord. Use us. Use us to heal and to help and to bring hope. And we pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen.